And this morning we continue our sermon series on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, if you were here, um, you'll have heard Gordon May speaking about the presence of the Holy Spirit right at the beginning of Jesus' life when an angel told Mary she was to give birth to God's Son. And today we skip forward approximately 33 years to the night of Jesus' arrest and hence the day before his trial and crucifixion. Um, If you have a Bible with you, you may um, want to have it open at John 14, the passage that Tim's just read to us, because I will be referring to it quite a bit. So to set the scene, here are Jesus and his disciples sharing their last meal together. Judas Iscariot has just left the room, and Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed. Jesus knows that he's going to die. And he tells the rest of his disciples that he's going to be leaving them. And you can imagine at this point the disciples feeling rather bewildered. They spent the last three years following Jesus. They left jobs and homes to be with him. Jesus has been their helper, their teacher, their friend. He's always led the way, known where they would go, what they would do next. But what's going to happen now? What will they do without him? So Jesus tells them that although he's leaving them physically, he's not going to abandon them. They won't be like orphans. They won't be alone. And he has two gifts for them. The first of these is peace. John 14:27 says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And the very next day, the disciples were to see their friend tried and executed. And as his followers, their own lives would be under threat. They would have every reason to feel troubled and afraid. And in this situation, peace of mind and heart would be a really precious gift. But Jesus has another gift which is even more precious than this. He's going to ask God the Father to send his Holy Spirit, his very life breath, who will always be with them. John fourteen sixteen. I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now, the idea of the Holy Spirit being a constant presence would have been a really new concept to the disciples. Um, In the Old Testament, there had been many occasions when the Holy Spirit came upon people. But he always acted through particular people at particular times and for particular purposes. Of course, Jesus' life was always full of the Holy Spirit. But he was unique in that. The presence of God was not a constant presence. And the one place that God had always been present was in the Holy of Holies in the Jewish temple. The Holy of Holies lay behind a huge curtain. It could only be entered once a year by the high priest who offered a sacrifice for sins there. And the Holy of Holies had been built to house the Ark of the Covenant. And this was the special box that contained the two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments on, which God had given to Moses. 
And God's presence dwelt in the ark, in this box. And it was so holy that no one was permitted even to touch the box. Um, This photo shows a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. But the original was lost about 600 BC. And um, that has never been found. Unless, of course, um, it turns out that Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark was actually a true story. And in Samuel, um, the second book of Samuel, chapter 6, you can read the account of the occasion when the Ark of the Covenant was being transported on an oxen cart. The oxen stumbled, and a man called Azar reached out to steady the Ark. And as he touched it, Azar was struck down dead. Now, this may seem rather extreme to us, but it is a striking illustration of the sheer power of the presence of God. So, on the one hand, we have a God who is almighty, too holy to be looked upon, whose presence is so powerful that to touch the box containing his Ten Commandments is to be struck down dead. He's the God whose presence in the Holy of Holies must be screened by a huge curtain and which no one but the high priest is allowed to enter. On the other hand, Jesus says in uh, John 14:23, God is a loving father. He's going to come and live in us and make his home with us. So clearly something needs to change for us to go from this position, the holy, untouchable God, to this position, the God who comes and makes his home with us. And the very next day, after Jesus said these things to the disciples about the Holy Spirit coming, he was crucified. At the moment he died, that curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And this was hugely symbolic. Previously, the high priest had made a sacrifice once a year for sins. Now Jesus himself, the great high priest, is the one perfect sacrifice for all sins forever. There's no longer a need for a holy of holies. God himself has crossed that divide. He comes to make his home in us. And we become his living temple. His living ark of the covenant. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 says this, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. So, who is this Spirit? What is he like and what will he do? This is what Jesus says about him. I will talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the Spirit of truth. And I think there are four things that this tells us about the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Spirit is another friend. He's someone who is like Jesus. And when John's Gospel was first written in Greek, the word used for another meant another of the same kind rather than um, another of a different kind. So the Spirit is going to be another friend who is like Jesus. And whatever characteristics Jesus has... The Spirit has too. And where he differs from Jesus is he's a purely spiritual being, which is kind of obvious really, but it's important nevertheless. 
While Jesus lived on the earth, he was confined to one place at one time in a physical body. The Holy Spirit can be present everywhere at all times. The second thing about the Holy Spirit is he is a friend. And the Greek word originally used here was parakleti. Now, this word's always given Bible translators problems because it doesn't translate very neatly into English. You may have noticed that Tim um, in the uh, NIV um, read it as counselor. It's actually, paraclete is actually a lovely word. It means one who is called alongside. It's been variously translated as advocate, counselor, encourager, comforter, helper, and friend. And I just love that picture. Someone sent by God to be by our side, to encourage us when we're feeling worn down, to comfort us when we're grieving, to fight for us when there's injustice, to be a companion when we're lonely. The Holy Spirit is someone who's on our side, working on our behalf. Third thing about the Spirit is he's always with us. He will never leave us. He's with us in our homes, our workplace, on the tube, in the traffic jam, in the pub, the coffee shop. He's with us in times of joy, times of pain, and all the mundane times in between. He's not confined to a church or a temple or an ancient box. He's a constant companion with us. Now, It is a great thing. I think you all agree that the Holy Spirit is always with us. But for many of us, and perhaps all of us, sometimes it doesn't actually feel like he's there. In fact, it feels like God is still hidden in that Holy of Holies in his box. When we're struggling with something and not getting the answers we're hoping for, we start to think, well, he's meant to be here, but it doesn't feel like he is. And that's why we need to know the fourth thing about the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Truth. Because the truth is true, whatever we feel. It goes beyond feelings and opinions. We live in an age of information overload, but a distinct shortage of truth. We only have to hear the story of the news of the world to know that that's the case. So where is truth to be found? And the other day I googled truth. It came up with um, 684 million results. So rather than share all of those with you this morning, um, I thought I'd go back to the beginning of John chapter 14 and verse 6, where Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we want to know the truth, we need to look no further than Jesus. His teaching, his miracles, his example, and of course his death and his resurrection. When Jesus completed his life on earth, it became the Holy Spirit's job to keep that truth alive. Verse 26, Jesus says this, The Holy Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Like us, the disciples needed to know the truth and have a strong conviction of it if they were to remain strong in their faith and go out and tell the world about Jesus. I've experienced various times in my life when I have felt the Holy Spirit giving me a strong conviction of the truth. And I've made a point of collecting these truths. So when it feels like God is distant, I know that this is only my perception and not reality. 
Uh, I just wanted to share with you the most significant time that I experienced that truth, and it was when I first became a Christian. As a teenager, I was really attracted by Christianity, but the problem was I couldn't be sure if I believed in God. I wanted to be able to prove that God existed, but of course you can't do that. You cannot prove or disprove God. So one day I was in a communion service with some friends and um, I just had a strong feeling I shouldn't take communion that day because I didn't really believe that it was all true. I remember praying at that time, God, if you're there, show me you're there. Now, it was a communion service where communion was being passed round. The bread would be passed round from one person to the next and then the wine. So the bread came round and I passed it on. And then the wine came round and again I passed it on. But as I did say, I suddenly had a picture of Jesus on the cross. And a voice said, I died for you. And I knew that was true. At the time, I wept, and I really hope my friends didn't notice. And every time I retell that story, I feel like weeping again. It changed my life. I don't believe that you can have a meeting with God and not be changed by him. I don't believe that you can know the truth of the Spirit and not have it change your life. Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. This is such an intimate picture, isn't it? God himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who already lives in a relationship of complete love and understanding, wants to come and make his home in us, to include us in that relationship. And when you live with people, things about them start to rub off on you. It's the same when God comes to live with us. I know that I am not the person I would have been if God hadn't come to live in my life. I know I wouldn't have been a very nice person at all. But when God comes to live with us, we start to become a bit more like Jesus. Not by our effort, but because the Holy Spirit is changing us. Galatians 5.22 says, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And not only do we become more like Jesus, but we also start doing the things that Jesus did. You go back to verse 12 in the same chapter, John 14. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And again, this is not because of who we are, but because of the Holy Spirit in us. There are no qualifications needed. You don't need a degree in theology or a dog color, which is just as well, but just a faith and a willingness to do God's will. And when we think of the things that Jesus did, this is quite mind-blowing. Jesus healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, 
cast out evil spirits, even raised the dead, calmed a storm, turned water into wine, fed the 5,000. He taught the truths of the kingdom, showed love and mercy and compassion. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, is like Jesus. He's a friend. He's always with us. He's able to do all these things through us when he comes to make his home in us. So I think that gives us a challenge. What do we believe is the truth? Are we open to God coming to make his home in us and making us a temple of his Holy Spirit? Do we really desire to become more like Jesus and have more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Do we dare to believe that we can do the same things that Jesus did through the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we going to make ourselves available to him to be his hands and his feet and his mouth in our world which so desperately needs him? And this morning we are going to take communion together and the children are going to join us. But just before that, I've asked um, John um, to come and just lead us in uh, just one worship song. And I just want to invite you this morning to come and receive more of the Holy Spirit in your life. If there's anything that has spoken to you, perhaps you want to know the truth. Perhaps you've come burdened with something this morning that you would really love to receive prayer for. Perhaps you would like to see more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Perhaps you would like to um, have Jesus doing more of uh, the things he wants to do through you in the lives of others. So I just would invite you to come and receive prayer this morning. There will be plenty of us up here to pray for you. Please do come and experience the Holy Spirit in your life. Let's pray.